All right, everybody. Um, I do want to uh, spend the next couple of minutes, several minutes. <laughs> You're like, come on, Phil. You've never said anything in a couple of minutes. Um, I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk about Father's Day. I want to talk to our dads and the men in the room. But a couple of caveats before I do that um, is uh, just first off is to say this not just for dads. So uh, this is going to be a message just for everyone. But I'm going to kind of target dads and men in the room. Uh, But honestly, this is just something that's going to be true for uh, all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, like there's something in this for you, uh, because the the whole idea, I'm going to give it to you on the front end, is we have a responsibility to instill in those coming after us um, and to tell them who God is and to raise them in his ways so that they will flourish. So this is going to be for everyone, um, but I am going to specifically talk to dads a little bit. We talked to moms like a month ago, so now uh, now it's dad's turn. Another little kind of caveat is just uh, I do want to recognize on the front end that when it comes to the topic of dads, when it comes to fathers and Father's Day, it's not always a great feeling for a lot of people. Um, there are... Uh, there is nothing quite like like a hurt in life that can be caused by a dad or a lack of dad. Um, and so I just want to recognize that if you've been hurt by your father or he wasn't there, I'm so sorry. Um, but we believe with everything in us that what that video said, that, um, that, that God is a father to the fatherless. Um, and there is great hope in that. So that, that, that's where we're starting the day with. We're talking to dad, so we're going to jump right in, okay? Everybody good? We're good? On the same page? Ready to roll? Cool. Um, oh, and yes, by the way, I did wear a Hawaiian shirt because it's Father's Day. So it seemed fitting, okay? It did seem. And for those of you that know me, the pineapples are a psych reference, okay? All right. Anyway, we're jumping in. So here's where I want to start things. Um, it seems like we are living in a, a world, like a, a time, a culture, a society. This is not true everywhere around the world. This has not been true for all times throughout history. But the, the moment that we are in, it seems like... Um, is a culture that increasingly devalues the role of men and dads. Um, and we see that in a couple of different ways. Uh, one of the ways that we see that actually is um, when it comes to entertainment. Uh, if you watch a movie or watch a TV show, like pay attention to the role of the dad in the show. Uh, number one, this isn't always the case, but sometimes dad's not in the picture or dad's a jerk, so that's one picture we get. But if dad is in the picture, he's usually portrayed as clueless, right? Just like... He, he's immature, like a child, like causes most of the problems, is a butt, uh, the butt of a lot of the jokes, um, causing all the problems, like I said. And, and this is usually, it's like, yep, of course, of course, because dads are irresponsible, basically, is the message that you get. This is not a modern phenomenon. It's been going on at least for all of my lifetime. Um, I am a child of the 90s. Where are my 90s kids at? Yes, all right. Um, and so one of my favorite TV shows then, and now even, I love watching it, is Home Improvement. Okay, I love home improvement, but one of the running themes throughout the whole show is Tim is an idiot. Like that's like the whole point. Like he's a he's he is the fourth child in the family. He's always blowing something up or electrocuting himself. If you want someone who's responsible and going to get things done, you go talk to Jill because Jill is responsible. Tim is a child, right? So that's kind of the idea that we get. Or uh, even in in cartoons, you know, Family Guy. Not that I've ever watched that, but it's just like, yep, Peter's an idiot. Like this is this is kind of the picture that we get um, of dad. So we have that kind of going. And there's also then this kind of cultural phenomenon where society has, has told us that um, as humans, we're basically just completely moldable blobs of clay, uh, that anybody can fill any role. And so therefore, dad's not that important. As long as you have a loving parent in the home, that's all that matters. It can be mom, it can be dad, uh, it can be grandparents, it can be boyfriend, girlfriend, anything like that, as long as there's love in the home. And let me just say, love in a home is absolutely better and preferable to, not, preferable to not love in a home, but there's still something about the role of a dad that can't be replaced. Third thing that we, that we see today is um, 
there is kind of this line of thinking over the past several years. And this, again, this isn't true of everyone. And there is some legitimacy to this line of critique. But there's this idea in our culture right now that seems like anytime something bad happens, it's men's fault, right? Men are to blame. Men are the enemy. Hashtag down with the patriarchy, okay? Like, there is this. And again, there has been some uh, things that men have done to support that, like to, to put that narrative out there. But as followers of Jesus, we would say, no, men aren't the problem. Humans are the problem because humans sin. And sin is not like, does not discriminate between men and women. Like we are all messed up and contribute evil to the world. And so on one hand, we have these kind of forces that are coming together. They're like, yeah, dads, guys, they're not important. They're part of the problem. The role's not that important. But as I was saying, that's not without merit. Because then we do have guys that fit those roles perfectly. And maybe you know someone like this, or maybe you're related to someone like this. You work with someone like this. From time to time, sometimes we all are people like this, where it's like those things that are said about guys and about dads, it's like, it's kind of true sometimes, right? Angry, irresponsible, immature, absent, either like physically absent or just like mentally, emotionally not available, um, have cheated either on their wife or just with work, you know, a person or just with work. Uh, still thinking, I, I mean, I'm at the point in life now, I'm not super old, contrary to, you know, what our students tell me, okay, I'm not super old, but I'm also not really young either, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm 34, so it's like, okay, we're like, man, I'll, I'll see people, it's like, we went to school together, and I'm like, dude, we're not in high school anymore, right, it's, it's time to grow up, you know, <laughs> and that carries on, you see people in their, you know, 42, 52, 62, still, you know, rocking T-Swift, feeling like they're 22, Okay, like it's still happening. It's like, man, it's just time to grow up. So on, you have these two things coming together where culture's like, yeah, guys, men, dads, not that important. And sometimes as guys, as dads, we're like, oh, you know, whatever, I'll just do whatever. And the, the results of that have been devastating. There's been so much pain unleashed and, and destruction just unleashed in the world. And these are, uh, this is an idea that is very well known. Um, in terms of statistics and, and the implications on society. Uh, so I'm gonna give us some stats just to kind of set the tone for the conversation, all right? And hopefully uh, open our eyes up a little bit, but then also motivate us some. So here's some sobering statistics around the idea of fatherlessness. 63% of youth suicides, all youth suicides from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in a chemical abuse center come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. If you're a kid in a fatherless home, you're four times greater risk of poverty. If you're a girl in a fatherless home, you're seven times greater risk of teen pregnancy. And so it's like across the board in society, it's just like, man, this isn't good. And then we come into a context like this, too, and the roles that the guys play in faith. It's so important. Statistically speaking, in the American church, um, Father's Day is the lowest attended Sunday of the year. So congrats to those of you who are here. You did it. Like, way to go. But you compare that to Mother's Day. Mother's Day is one of the highest. Outside of, like, Christmas and Easter, maybe one or two other Sundays, Mother's Day is right up there. It's just not priority in our lives. Stats show us that one in 50 kids, if, if dad doesn't go to church, but mom does, only one in 50 kids will grow up to like have faith in church as a regular part of their life. You flip that though, if dad goes to church, 70 to 75% of kids will be in church as adults and faith will be important to them. 
it's a really big deal. Um, and so like I, I say all that to give us the picture of how important this is, but I also want to say all of that to also say this, that if like if dad wasn't in the picture for you, um, or you know, you're raising kids on your own right now, like don't hear those statistics and think it's hopeless for me. Because Jesus shows up and says, I specialize in hopeless. I specialize in what's impossible. I show up and I'm a father to the fatherless. Uh, and so the fact that you are here, that you are hearing me says that you're like, no, I'm not, that, those statistics are not going to define me. They're not going to define my family. So good for you. Good for you. But guys, like there is a responsibility for us to step up and to lead well in our families and in our communities and not in a way that's heavy-handed authoritarian. Because like that, that's, the, that's the thing that we can do with an idea like this and a message like this is to take it home and be like, you heard what Pastor Phil said, I'm in charge and I'm going to lead. Don't do that, okay? So like if you're like a, a student or a kid here, like listen, uh, if that happens, you come tell me, be like, hey, hey. And I'll be like, hey, listen, I said don't do that, okay? Because there is a way in which so we can take this. And in fact, this is where some of the stereotypes have come from, where some of the damage from Christianity has come from, where guys have been like, I'm in charge here, and I will rule with an iron fist. You'll do what I said because I'm in charge of this house. And that's not the way of Jesus. The Apostle Paul comes along, actually, in his letter to the Ephesians and talks about, hey, as, as, as followers of Jesus, we all were in a posture of submission to one another and serving one another. And he, he uses the picture of family. And he specifically says, fathers... <laughs> do not exasperate your children or do not stir them up to anger, right? Like, do not just like, you know what, I'll show you, I'll tell you. Um, he says, no, don't do that. That's not the way of Jesus. He says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That it's not just the truths that we teach our kids, it's the way in which we teach them. It's in humility, it's in patience, it's in love, it's in sacrifice, it's in generosity. It's looking to Jesus and saying, okay, that, like what, what he has done for me, the love that he has displayed, I will display that same kind of self-sacrificial love to my family, to the world around me. So we're going to jump in, and I want to give us kind of these two foundational issues that, man, if, if we are going to be guys, if we are going to be dads that lead well, if we're going to be people outside of just dads, like if we're going to be a church that uh, leads well and instills faith in the next generation, these two things are critical. There's a lot of things we could say, but these two are the foundation. And so we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Um, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's going to be the fifth book uh, of the Bible, so if you want to follow along, you can. I'm going to have it up on the screen as, as always. But here's what's going on in, in Deuteronomy. Um, the, the nation of Israel is right on the edge of the promised land. They're about ready to go in, and before they go in, Moses gives this big speech, which is basically the, the book of Deuteronomy. So God had rescued uh, Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he brings them out and he, he says, listen, I'm your God. You're my people. You've not done anything to earn this or deserve this. Like, I've chosen you. I love you. I'm your God. You're my people. We're in relationship together now. And then he says, because we're in relationship, here's the way you are to live, to relate to me, to relate to one another, to relate to the peoples around you. And he gives them what we call the Old Testament law. Um, and so that happens on the mountain. Uh, and then Israel proceeds to say, cool, we're going to do all that. And then they don't do any of that. Uh, they turn their back on God. Uh, they, they refuse to go into the promised land the first time that they get there. And so God's like, okay, that's it, fine. You don't get to go into the promised land. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years, and then your children will get to go into the promised land. So that 40 years of wandering has just ended. They're about to go into the promised land. And now Moses gets up and, and, and like rehashes their story. Here's who you are. Here's who God is. Here's what he's done. Here's the commands that he's given. This big reminder before we step into the promise. So that's where we're picking up what we're stepping into. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Moses says, this is the command, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter 
and possess. So it's like, hey, guys, these are the, the commands, the statutes, the ordinances, just his way of saying this is what we would call the law. God has given us this law. And whenever uh, we as 21st century people living in the West, we open up the law, which is found mostly in like Exodus and Leviticus, we're like, it's weird. What's all this stuff about shellfish? I don't get it. Like there's just all kinds of weird stuff in the Old Testament law. And while it's really, really weird to us, it was pretty normal for them. Like it fit within their cultural context and how they understood the world. And so we're thinking it's crazy. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. On one hand, it makes sense to them and it fits the culture, but on, at the same time, it was radical for their culture. It was so different than anything in the other surrounding nations. Uh, you know, sometimes with, again, our modern eyes, we look back on something like the Old Testament, and we think, oh, that is so, that is so outdated, that is so primitive. Um, you know, with chronological snobbery, as I think it was C.S. Lewis said, we look back on those who came before us, like, oh, how could they be so primitive? But at the time that it was written and given, compared to the nations around Israel, the Old Testament law is like light years ahead. The dignity that it brought to women and to children uh, and to foreigners among them was insane. The, the way that, the, that it instructed um, the Israelites to treat their slaves, and it's like that was just a part of the world, but God was like, hey, you're going to do it differently, that they, they could only be in service for so long. It's like, nope, now you have to set them free unless they want to stay with you. That there is this idea of the year of Jubilee where everybody got their land back. You'd sold any of your land, you're like, okay, time to give it back to the original owners. I mean, this is just radical, radical stuff. And so as they're about to enter into the land, Moses is reminding them of all of these things. It's like, when you get in there, there are going to be peoples around you and neighbors around you that live completely different. And it's going to, your life is going to look weird. Don't forget what God has instructed you. So he goes on. He says, do this, remember these things, so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands that I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. So in other words, this is going to be good for you, but it's also good for your, your children and your grandchildren, their children. This idea, this generational thing that we continue to pass this along. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them. Right, so he makes this distinction. I don't just want you to, uh, to know these things, have these ideas in your head. You, you actually have to do them. Follow these things so that there's a reason behind it that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, had, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. There, there's this, this principle within faith that it's actually doing that makes the difference. Uh, your person of faith is like, I believe certain things. Just believing things doesn't really make that much of a difference in your life. It's when you actually put them into practice and it's like, whoa, this stuff actually makes a difference. It changes who I am. It changes how I interact with the world. Like, like there, there, there's something about application that actually makes the difference. This is why Jesus' invitation to people was always, hey, come follow me. Don't come just believe in me or think about me every now and then, but I actually want you to, to follow me. Like take my way of life upon you uh, and there is an outcome to that. There's a principle involved. That whenever we do life God's way, life goes better. And not always, because we live in a broken world. We live in a, a world that is full of sin. We live in a world that there's pain and there's suffering. But as like a general idea, it's like, okay, God, you've created this world and you've made me and you know how things are best supposed to function. And so when I do, uh, as you say, life goes better. It leads to a life of flourishing. Like life is better when you follow Jesus and you're better at life when you follow Jesus, but better doesn't always mean easier. And sometimes we confuse the two. We're like, well, you said it'd be better. I'm like, yeah, but better ain't easier. In fact, usually the things in life that are better aren't easier. 
But when we take the way of Jesus and say, okay, like, Jesus, what do you say about family and relationships and sex and money and career and parenting and, and singleness and uh, love and forgiveness? Okay, I want to I do things your way. Like, it makes life better. We experience a life of joy, of contentment, of peace, of, 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 of hope, all of these beautiful, beautiful things. And so that, that promise that is for us today, like follow Jesus and like we experience these things in our life, it was true of them as, as well, right? Hey, follow the, the commands of God and things will go better for you. Verse four says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. This is what's known as the Shema. Um, and it gets its name from just that first word, listen, in Hebrew, Shema. He's like, hey, listen, this, this is something that uh, Jewish people recite every day. Practicing Jews, morning and evening, recite this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, all your strength. And the way, the way it's phrased here, um, it can be actually rendered more accurately, the Lord alone. It's not a statement of saying like, okay, the Lord, like, um, the, the Lord is one, that there's just one, but rather it's a statement of allegiance. Like we will follow the Lord alone. All the other things that we could chase after in life, all the other gods that we could serve, the Lord, our God, we will follow him alone. We will love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. Jesus picks up on this um, in his ministry. He gets tested one time by a religious leader who's like, oh yeah, Jesus, so what's the most important commandment? Because there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And he's like, pick one. Trying to get him like tripped up. He's like, aha, you left that one out and you said this was more important. And Jesus doesn't flinch. He says, oh, well, here's, here's the greatest commandment. And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But he doesn't stop there. He goes a step further. He says, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that wasn't something that Jesus was making up or pulling out of thin air. Even that command, love your neighbor as yourself, is actually found in the Old Testament. It's like this obscure little line in Leviticus of all places, which is like priestly code about like ritual purity. Leviticus is the really, really weird book in the Bible, okay? And, but in the midst of that, you see this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so even that loving your neighbor as yourself flows out of, like it's in the Old Testament, like law, it flows out of, hey, I'm God, love me, we're in relationship, and out of this relationship with me, you go and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this idea of this command that Moses gives that Jesus picks up on, says, love God with everything you have, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the most important thing. This is the first and greatest commandment. No matter who you are, no matter what life looks like, if you are following Jesus, whatever your age and stage of life is, this is the most important thing that you can do. So guys, dads, you wanna know what the most important thing you can do in your life is? It's to love God with everything you have. Like before you're a parent, before you do whatever it is that you do at work, before like your hobbies and your interests, before all of those things, the most important thing that you can do is say, I'm pursuing God with everything that I have. Everything flows out of that. Everything is downstream from that. You see, like we, we get really excited, at least I do, like my, my personality, my temperament is like, I want people to love Jesus. I want people to follow him. I want to tell everybody about him. I want to tell our church. I want our church. I want you guys to love the Lord your God. I want my kids to love the Lord their God. But before I could ever tell anybody else, before anybody could ever love the Lord their God, I need to love the Lord my God first. Because I can't pass on to other people what I don't have. And, and so like, man, Moses is like, hey guys, this is what you need to know. We're getting ready to go into the promised land. Make sure you have this priority right here. Love God with everything that you have. Nothing else will go well if you don't. 
And then he says this kind of clarifying verse six, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. In other words, they're not just, they're not just empty words, they're not just ideas, but they are so deep down inside of you that it's just what comes out of you. They're like everything that you do, the way that you're living, the way that you're treating people, the way that you're thinking of others, the way that like everything, like there's like the ways of God are just coming out of me. I'm just the kind of person that just oozes love and sacrifice and, uh, and, and just um, uh, generosity and forgiveness. Like there's just stuff that just comes out of me in everything that I do because I, I don't just know this stuff in my head, but it's deep down in my heart. First thing, if you want to, you know, like, hey, I want to I I step into what God has for me. I want to lead as a, as a husband, as a dad, in my workplace, wherever I'm at. I want to I step into this. The first thing we have to do is we have to make faith personal. It's got to be our own. We can't ride on the faith of a family member. We can't ride on the faith of, like, people in our church or our pastors. Like, no, like, I need to know Jesus personally. I got to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I got an email this week that um, kind of highlighted this for me. Um, there's a pastor in New York, his name is John Tyson. Um, I'm on a mailing list for him, like a little newsletter. He didn't actually email me personally. He has no idea who I am. Um, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but uh, doubtful. Anyway, he, uh, he does a lot of really interesting things, and he has this email that goes out for, like, for men and, and like, um, specifically like dads of boys, which is like, Lord, we need help. Um, and he, he's Australian, so like everything he says sounds way cooler. There's just something. I'm sorry, if you're an American and you hear somebody talking in an Australian or a British accent, you're like, you're like 10 times smarter than you actually are because it just he sounds so cool. Uh, but anyway, I got this email. Losing the point. Okay. Uh, I got this email and there was this quote that just was like, yeah, this is, this is what it's about. He said this. He said, the most important thing a man can do in a secular culture is not get caught up in culture wars or heated arguments. Right? We're like, oh, the way the world is and the way the thing. He's like, no, like we, we don't need to argue. We don't need to culture war. We don't need to be keyboard heroes and go to the internet and tell everybody exactly how wrong they, end, they, they are. He said, no, that, that's not it. The most important thing that he can do is build his life around the presence of God. That's the most important thing. It's learning to disciple your attention, to acknowledge the reality of God in all of life, to build rhythms of remembrance about who God is and what he has done. It's to make your faith public and visible, not just private and devotional. The most important thing that we can do is live in the presence of God. Everything else comes after that. Everything else comes after that. We, we make this thing personal. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. It is personal, but it's not private. Because after that verse, Moses goes on to say something else. Hey, you've you got to know these things. You've got to love God. You've got to live these things out. And then repeat them to your children. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't end with you. It's not like, sweet, I know God and I love him. Like, no, 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 there's a step after that. Repeat these things to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. You don't keep faith to yourself. Right? We pass it on to the next generation, to those coming after us. And you notice the rhythm that he gives. Here's where you do that. It's like when you sit at home, you're walking along the road, you lie down, and you get up. In other words, it's just a part of regular life. Like it's just a part of the rhythm of life about everything we do when we're at home, when we're on the road, in the morning, in the evening, that we find ourselves, is like, because like I'm a follower of Jesus all the time, not just on Sunday mornings. The faith can't just be a Sunday thing. It can't be like, okay, kids, we're going to go to church, and this is where you get the God part of your life. Good, we got that settled, great. The rest of the week, nope, not doing that at all. 
right? Like, it's like, no, this doesn't work that way. It's not, faith isn't like an add-on. It's like, no, he's like, everything you do every day, the regular conversations you have, the way you interact with your friends, the way you carry yourself at work, the way that you, that you, you carry yourself at home, the things you say, the things that you do, like find these ways and these moments to weave in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Everywhere you go, it's a part of the rhythm of life. Repeat them to your children, not in just, okay, I'm gonna sit you down and we're gonna have a conversation now, but when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you get up, when you lie down. Notice, too, the, the other thing that he says in this little passage here. He says, hey, talk, talk to your children. And so that, that, that starts with, like, you know, if, you have, if you're raising kids, that starts, like, with your own children, but it doesn't end with your own children. He says, I want you to write these things on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. See, passing faith on to the next generation, it's a family thing. It's also a communal thing. As Moses is, is, is speaking these words, he's talking to the entire nation of Israel. So there's an understanding of like, hey, this is something that we are in together. That there is a community of faith coming around families to say, we, will, we collectively will instill faith in a generation. We will point them to Jesus. We will show them what it looks like to flourish. We will show them the hope and the future that they can have in him. We will do that together. And so that means two things. Number one, so I said this is for everyone. Even if like you don't have children, never have children, have adult children, grandchildren, wherever you're at, like guys, girls, on that journey, like we all fall into that collective like community of faith that says they not, may not be my, my like biological children, but this is a spiritual family. And so like I'm telling you, like there are kids in this church that are looking up to some of you and you don't even know it, right? They come up and they walk around and they're like, yeah, that person and that person. And we have this responsibility to come along and to pass faith on. And not just we pass faith on communally that way, but those of us that do have kids, our kids need the voice of other adults who are following Jesus, right? They, they need people in their life who can, who can re repeat the same thing. Sometimes that we've said a thousand times, right? Have you ever been there, those of you that are parents? Your kid's like, hey, so-and-so said this and it was so cool. And you're like, been saying that for like five years, and you're like, no, no, you haven't. And you're like, I have, I really have. But sometimes we just need different voices in our lives. We start with passing this faith on at home, but we bring it into our church. We bring it into the places that we work. We, we bring our kids into environments like this where it's like other people can speak the goodness of Jesus into their lives. So this, this is what it's about, right? There's a, I make faith, faith personal, but in this rhythm, after faith is personal, I am intentional about passing it on. I'm intentional about passing it on to my kids, other kids, um, just people that I work with. And I'm intentional about putting my children in places where they can see people who are following Jesus and what that means for their life. This is how things change. This is how things get better. You make faith personal and you make passing it on intentional. That is the foundation for everything that comes after that. You make faith personal and you make passing it on intentional. As we, we looked at the beginning and we're like, man, things are, things are rough, right? Those statistics and, and things are, uh, the fatherlessness and the way the culture is going, the way society is going. Here, here is the way that you change that. We don't change that with culture war. We don't change that with taking an us versus them mentality. We change things by saying, okay, my faith is going to be personal and I'm going to pass it on. And one by one by one by one, things are going to change. Here's how things get better and things change. You know, I talked about how kind of the perception of dads and the perception of guys in culture right now. And some of that is very, very legitimate, like a legitimate like argument, right? There are people that back that kind of picture up. But the way that we change that is by doing this. I make my faith personal. I make passing it on intentional. 
And so when someone's like, ah, guys are the problem, they do this, like, whoa, 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 it's not me, right? Look at my life and how I love and how I serve and how I pursue Jesus and the way that I'm loving a family and the way that I'm loving people that aren't even related to me. That's how we change the narrative. That's how we change culture. That's how we change the world. That's how the world changed once 2,000 years ago by a ragtag group of a few dozen people that had no power, no, no authority. They're like, well, we see Jesus and we're gonna follow him and we're gonna tell everybody else about him. 2,000 years later, there are bil- literally billions of us because they made faith personal and they made passing it on intentional. That is what we are called to do. And let me just tell you, that is what you are equipped to do. Uh, everybody, this is, this is true for you, but let me talk to guys. Let me talk to dads specifically for a moment. God has gifted you. He has equipped you. He has called you. Don't settle for less than what God has called you to. Don't settle for less. Step into what he has for you. And so here's my challenge for you when I'm wrapping things up. Don't leave and not do anything. Because there's a temptation to go, that's good and that's true and somebody will do that. But take a step today in each one of these directions. Take a step towards making faith personal. Listen, for all of us, we all have a next step in a faith journey. And, and the thing about making faith personal is kind of one of those things that's like, it's actually, it's not complicated. It's just difficult. It's just hard. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. Because here's what I know. One of the things that, that makes faith personal, it's just making the decision to do it. I know for me personally, I find all kinds of time during the day to like, like I just wasted how long watching YouTube videos? Like that just happened. I could be spending that time in scripture. I could be spending that time praying. I could be spending that time just being quiet and, and, and listening instead of like always needing to fill my mind up with noise. It's just a matter of making a decision. I'm gonna spend time in scripture. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna serve people. I'm gonna give sacrificially. And we do those little things and those little acts and God meets us there and he shows up in big ways in our life. Take a step today to make faith personal. Here's the other thing. Take a step today to make passing it on intentional. The first place, if you have kids, in your own home. I know that's scary and I know sometimes we feel like we're not equipped to do for that. Here's the first place that you start, share your story. Do your kids know the story of what God has done in your life? Let them see, hey, this is who I used to be. This is who I am now. This is what Jesus has done. And you don't need to have explanations and answers. It's just like, I'm not the person that I used to be. Share your story. Make faith real. You know, when it, inter- when it actually, when it, it should intersect with everyday life. Let your kids see that you really believe this. I know we're not very good at this, or I'm not very good at this. Christy's better at it than I am. I'm just like, well, why, why do we do the things we do? Well, I just do. And so taking the time to, like, explain. Why do we have people at our house every week, twice a week? Why do we give? Why do we do these things? Like, oh, it's because, because Jesus has given so much to us. Just take the time to find those moments to do that. Find the moments to do that. Final thing as far as passing it on at home is continue those conversations. Have some faith conversations. One of the things that I love about uh, our HC Kids environments, they're very, very good at equipping parents to do that. If you've got kids downstairs, you'll be getting one of these every week. Uh, it's called a parent cue card because it cues parents. And it says, hey, here's what they talked about. Here was the bottom line this morning. You know, here was the verse they talked about. Um, so you can continue the conversation. And then on the back, there's like things to engage in the rhythm, discussion prompts that you can use throughout the week. And there's morning time, meal time, drive time, and bedtime. And it's meant to mimic that Deuteronomy 6. When you sit at home, when you go along the road, when you lie down, when you wake up, and pick this up and just say, okay, hey guys, you know, and here's the one for today. Pray for each other. Jesus, thank you for showing us so much about how you love us. Help us to love the people in our lives who are challenging to love. What if you just sat down for 30 seconds one day this week and said, guys, we're gonna pray that together. Right? Just take those moments to make it intentional and not just passing it on at home, 
of passing it on to others as well. I've been, uh, I've been kind of holding on to this little uh, nugget for a while now, trying to figure out when I was going to talk about it, and today seemed like the perfect week to do it. came to my attention a couple of months ago. Um, I absolutely love our HC Kids environment. Like, we have some volunteers that do an incredible job uh, with kids, and they knock it out of the park, and they love the kids that we have here, and they prep for it, and they're doing incredible things. But it was brought to my attention, or not really brought to my attention, just had this realization, we have zero men that serve with kids on Sunday morning. Guys, that's a problem. That's a problem. Right? We need some guys. So it's like, hey, faith is something to, 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 to tell all of them, but especially to tell like our, like our little boys, hey, man, like faith is something that guys do too. Like Jesus is important to guys too. Like we got to step up. And, and I had to make the, the adjustment though because we didn't have any. And recently we've had a student step up and start serving down there and he's, he's crushing it. He's awesome. If you guys see, if you see uh, Daniel Stephan, you let him know that he's awesome and he's incredible uh, and that he's doing that because it, it's true. I mean, we need some guys to step up. We need some guys to step up. And here's what I'll tell you. Some of you are actually gifted to do that and you're called to do that. But you're like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. You can, you can. You just got to love God and love kids, right? I mean, and, and just tolerate them for the most part, right? It's like, it's like, you always love them. You don't always like them, okay? Like, that's not a requirement. I love God and I love, I love kids. And just show up for them. So let me say, if, if that's you, if you feel like that's something you need to, to step up for, sign up today. You can do that at the kiosk at the back. You can do that by just coming and talking to me. If you're already serving somewhere else on Sunday morning, I will tell you, like, we'll get you in a rotation. You're not going to be locked down there forever. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you're doing something else, we'll find, we'll find somebody else to cover what, you're, what else you're doing because passing faith on to the next generation is more important than anything else we're doing on Sunday morning. Like what, what's most important is what's happening downstairs right now. This is, just, this is just childcare for the adults. That's what this is, right? Like the important thing is happening downstairs. All right, so that's all I got, okay? Uh, <laughs> make faith personal, make passing it on intentional. This is, this, is how, this is how big problems get solved. It's by one person at a time discovering and encountering the love of Jesus and the transformation that happens in their life. And here's the reality. And I, and I promise I'm going to be done. <laughs> you're going to blow it. Like, you're just, you're, you're going to. Right? When you think, I want to do this, and it's going to be great. And then, like, and then, you know, tomorrow it's been a long day at work, and all of a sudden you're yelling at your kids. You're like, ah, I'm so bad at this. It's going to happen. So, like, take that weight off your shoulders a little bit. Like, not, not, you know, no excuses for, like, yelling at your kids, but understand, like, there's grace, there's forgiveness. The next day is a new day and a new opportunity to get it right again. And know, you have this hope of knowing you don't have to do it on your own. You've got people who are surrounding you. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living within you, empowering you. All that we are called to do is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he says this in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You can follow me, not because I'm awesome, but because of who I'm following. So if you make it personal, you follow Jesus, be intentional about passing it on, know that it won't be perfect, but it will make a difference in the long run. And pray for us. God, we thank you so much um, that you are our perfect heavenly father, uh, that you are a father to the fatherless. Uh, God, that, that we read that in your word. We read that, uh, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. You give good gifts to your children. There is no gift greater than when you sent your son Jesus to this earth, when he lived a perfect life, showing us what it looks like to truly love God and love neighbor. He died a death on a cross that we should have died to pay for our sins. He rose from the grave so that we may have life, defeating the power of, of sin and death once and for all. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. God, I pray uh, that for every person in this room, that that would be personal, that that would be real, that that would be the, the, the primary thing that drives us is our relationship with you. 
Um, and Lord, I pray that we would be people that pass that on to the next generation, to our own children if we have them, to the kids of this church, to the people in the community. Lord, that every moment of every day we would be loving you and sharing your love with the world. God, I pray that especially uh, for the guys in this room. God, that you would just speak to them through the power of your spirit to, to remind them, to show them, to point them to who you've created them to be um, and just what you've called them to. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.